I ran my first marathon in 2005. And when I began to train for that event, people who had experience in marathoning began to talk to me about the wall. They said the wall is very personal. It affects people in different ways. It normally happens somewhere between miles 20 and 23. And the best way that I can describe it to you is it's the moment when your body tells your brain that you're a complete idiot for thinking you can run 26.2 miles. I mean, I remember my, it happened right around 23 miles, somewhere in there. And I remember my body, specifically my hips, my knees, my feet, and my lungs, telling my brain that the owner of that body was a complete moron for thinking that he could actually cross the finish line running 26.2 miles. And my brain, in response to my body, reminded my body that the very first human being that ever ran a marathon actually died at the end of it. That's not good news, right? When you hit the wall in a marathon, it taunts you. It says, you can't do this. You're not good enough. You didn't train hard enough. You should quit. You should walk. You should stop. You should lay down. You should have a Big Mac. You should find a big pile of sugar somewhere and eat all of it and then just take a long nap. That's what the wall says to you. This morning, we're going to run into our friend Josh again. Joshua was facing a wall, a really, really big wall that enclosed the city of Jericho. The wall was huge. It was daunting. It was scary. And I'm absolutely positive that it spoke to Joshua's insecurities. Many people have tried to capture in film what that moment was like when Joshua came face to face with the wall. And I'm going to show you my favorite rendering this morning to all of those parents who have preschoolers. Enjoy. Let's watch the screens, please. I love those little French peas. I mean, seriously, are they not awesome or what? You know, we all face those daunting and taunting moments. Moments when, moments when we're so overwhelmed by the size of the wall in front of us that we actually just try to laugh it off. When the truth is, it's not really funny at all. We come against these walls and they seem overwhelming and resistant. No matter how we try to break through them, they just seem to taunt us. We attack the walls with passion and they mock us because we can't even seem to make the smallest amount of headway. I sat with people in our church this week who are encountering very, very real wall moments. I sat with a family who's facing the wall of bankruptcy. I sat with a young man who's trying to overcome the wall of divorce I talked with a guy who's facing the wall of terminal cancer. I tried to encourage a pastor who's facing the wall of discouragement. I I prayed for a couple who's facing the wall of unemployment. I cried with a middle school kid who just busted my heart because he's trying to figure out how do I overcome the wall of my father's alcoholism. It's real stuff. And I'm sure if we passed a list around, you could add your wall to the list today. The truth is we all hit the wall at some point. And the truth is some of us hit it really, really hard Joshua's up against a wall, literally. I studied his wall moment all this week and I learned something. I learned that that Joshua didn't actually just face the wall of Jericho in one moment. Now he was actually walking through a process, a process that went through most of his life. And today I'm just wondering in my heart if we could see how God took Joshua through that process, through that wall moment. If we could learn that process and fully understand it, then maybe we could actually get some victorious moments in our life when the walls could come down, even the walls that taunt us. 
So let's take a look at the process of victory today. It starts way back in Joshua chapter 1. We started the series with these verses. And the Bible says this. Be strong and courageous. God speaking to Joshua. Because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong, very courageous, be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. In these verses, we find that the process of victory actually starts way before the wall moment and it starts with a moment of calling. It's the first blank in your outline. Every person in this room has a calling on their life that God wants you to fulfill. Every single one of you has a unique mission that you're supposed to be performing for the glory of God. And I want you to tell something, I want to tell you something about the calling of God on your life. Once you discover what that calling is, it's undeniable and it's unshakable. I believe that I've been called by God to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ with every breath that I've got. It means I have to do it. I've got no choice. I mean, if I can't do it here, I'm going to have to find somewhere else to be able to do it. Even if I was to switch professions at some level, I'm still going to have to be talking about Jesus because that's the call of God on my life. It's my holy discontent. If I can't do it, I can't stand it. I'm getting ready to go on vacation. Usually about Thursday of the week, my kids start talking about it. They go, oh boy, there he goes. He's going back into that zone again. Because about Thursday, it just starts churning up inside of me. It's like I've got to talk about it. I tell people, it's like I'm a band with one song. I can only talk about Jesus. That's the whole thing. I have no idea what God has called you to do. Maybe it's to serve the poor. Maybe it's to intercede and pray for a neighbor that doesn't know Christ. Maybe it's to relocate this fall to our extension campus in Ferndale. Maybe it's to go to Africa someday. Maybe it's to work with kids right here in this building or serve on the tech team. Maybe it's to share Jesus with the people in the cubicles around yours. Maybe it's to start a brand new ministry that we haven't even thought of here yet. I don't know what your calling is, but I know that God has one for you. My prayer is that you'll hear the call and answer the call. Joshua gets a calling. And then secondly, here's another step in the process. He's infused with courage. I want us to understand something about courage. Courage is based on God's promises, not on you or your ability. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so glad that victory in my life is not dependent on me or my ability. Because the truth is, I don't have much ability. But the other truth is, I have a really, really, really big God. God keeps calling Joshua to have courage and he calls him to have courage through fearing God, not through fearing people, not through fearing circumstances, not through fearing very large walls. I believe this to be true. Our level of courage is directly proportionate to our belief that our God is as big as he says he is and that he will do exactly what he said and promised that he would do. I tell you something, naturally I'm a chicken. I don't like violence. I have an aversion to conflict. I got a yellow streak that runs right down my back. But I'm learning that when I focus on the ever-encompassing power of my Savior and I declare His strength, that in those moments, courage wells up inside of me that allows me to take on tasks that don't make sense because in that moment, my courage is built on a rock-solid foundation that says this, greater is He that is in this guy than he that is in the world. That's where courage comes from. God knows Joshua needs some courage, but he also knows he needs a little bit more than that. So he sends a friend with a message. Joshua chapter five, verse 13 says this. 
Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. God sends a messenger and the message is clear. God is with you. God is here. God is present. In that holy moment, Joshua receives a confirmation that he's going the right direction. That's the next blank in your outline. Why does Joshua need a confirmation? I think it's important because the truth is Joshua and the people of Israel had been here before. If you read the book of Numbers, it tells us that that 40 years before, the people of Israel had come to exactly this point. But because they were rebellious, stiff-necked little punks, God had to send them to humility school for 40 years. They wandered out in the desert while God was teaching them all kinds of lessons about his faithfulness, his strength, his courage, that he could do what he needed them to do, but they needed to be obedient. Now he brings them in a full circle. They come right back to this point. Do you not think for a second that Joshua is going, I have been here before. I've done this dance once before. Are you sure we're supposed to go here? And in this moment, he needs a confirmation that he's in the right place at the right time and that he's heading in the right direction. Have you ever been in one of those moments when God just confirms to you that you're doing the right thing? Years ago, I had the privilege of meeting Dr. E.V. Hill, one of my favorite pastors, Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. That guy could preach. I dream of being able to preach like Dr. Hill one day. I got to meet him after a service one day. And I got to ask some questions. So I asked the question. I said, Dr. Hill, how can I know for sure, like for sure, that I'm going in the right direction and fulfilling God's calling on my life? He was just a little guy. But he sat back in his chair, kind of loosened his tie, pulled his glasses down on the end of his nose. He said, young man, if you want to know, if you've got to know, that the direction that you're going is from God. Take this piece of wisdom from an old man. If it's of God, it'll last. If it's a man, it'll pass. Hallelujah. That's what he did. I was just, I was just blown away. It's like, wow. He preached the same way to one guy that he did to thousands on the weekend. I felt like saluting when we were done. Yes, sir. (laughs) If it's of God, it'll last. If it's of man, it'll just pass. God sends a messenger to Joshua. And when the presence of God is confirmed, I find it amazing that God would include a step in the process of victory that a lot of people don't even consider. In fact, I think they don't even like it. It's the process of consecration. That's the next blank. Do you notice what happens when Joshua comes face to face with the commander of the army of the Lord? He ends up, wow, face down. Because he's in holiness. He's having a moment. He's face to face with an envoy from the most high God. Most people don't like this step. They want, they want the easy answer. They want the quick fix. They want quick deliverance. They don't want to do the hard work of God purifying them before they're ready for the task. 
Before Joshua can go and pursue this victory and take Jericho, he's got to first ensure that he's completely clean. Before he can step out and claim victory, he needs to do a fearless moral inventory. He needs to open his heart up so that God can come into those dark, those dark, dusty, cobweb-filled corners of his soul. He needs to confess his sin. He needs to repent of that sin. He needs to allow the grace of God to wash him as white as snow. Joshua needs to fall under the biblical directive that because God is holy, he's supposed to be holy too. Joshua needs to understand something about his location. It's a great lesson here. His location is holy, not because Joshua's there, not even because the angel's there. He's, it's holy because God is there in that moment. My friends, this place is not holy to today because you showed up. It's not, it's not holy because Sam did a great job leading in worship this morning. It's not holy because the pastor's trying to preach truth. This place is only holy because God is here. It's the only thing that makes it holy. If you want a victory in your life, my question to you is this. Have you done any face down time? Or have you spent all your time up on your feet trying to strategize how you're going to fix your problem? Have you spent any time face down on the ground asking God to purify you, to teach you, to root out whatever it is that's got you in this situation, to root out all of that evil stuff that's down deep inside of every single one of us? Have you spent any face down time? People don't like that step, but it's here. I believe that our lives must be washed clean by repentance and then kept clean by our integrity. Now, I'm not talking about cleaning ourselves up so we can come and, and be showered in the grace of God. You can't do that. Only God can purify. My question is, have you opened yourself up to God's purification? I want you to notice something. Four steps happen, and then he gets to the wall. We just normally go, I'm at the wall. Really? How did you get there? You following God's path or are you doing your own thing? Joshua 6 shows us what happens when Joshua, Joshua comes face to face with the wall. It says this, now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all of the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all of the people give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up, every man straight in. I mean, I just have to laugh at what would have been the disconnect between Joshua's reality and what God was telling him at this point, right? It's just like, um, Jericho's shut. Nobody's going in, nobody's coming out, and they have a wall, right? It's... God, this, is, this doesn't make sense. And it isn't it amazing that God speaks to him in this moment. Do you see how crazy the thing is that God says to him? He says this, he goes, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. I mean, if I was there in that moment, I'd be going, it's not in my hands, right? It's still big. And they've got a wall around it. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to them. Joshua's missing something in this moment. Joshua's still looking in the natural. God's talking supernatural at this point. He's talking about what's going to be, not what is. 
He's calling. In this moment, God is calling Joshua to a place of faith. And here's the next one. Commitment. He's going to ask him to commit. We need to understand something about the wall. The wall Joshua faced was big, but God was bigger. That transcends time and space. It means this. The wall that you're facing may be very big, but God is bigger. God's bigger than your failure, than your bankruptcy, than your divorce, than your cancer. God is bigger than your worst nightmare and your worst case scenario. God is bigger than unemployment. He's even bigger than your broken heart. He's bigger than all of that. God is bigger and he calls us just like Joshua to commit, not for his good, but for our good. Joshua's got to commit. He's got to commit to using a wall destruction method that you're not going to find in an engineering handbook. I mean, normally if you're going to make a wall collapse, you're either going to tear it down with brute force or try to dig underneath of it so that it falls in on itself. God has other ideas. They don't seem very logical. He comes to Joshua and says, what I want you to do to take the wall down, I want you to walk and then I want you to yell. What? That doesn't make any sense at all. And that's the point. When you're fully committed to God, you're willing to do whatever he asks, regardless of the cost, or even if, it appear, even if it appears foolish. I mean, God's trying to get Joshua to see something from his perspective. From Joshua's perspective, the wall's big. From God's perspective, it's not such a big wall. It's a little tiny wall. I could flick out those four walls with my finger because he's God. We need to understand that perspective. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. No matter where you're at today, focus on the power of God, not the size of the wall. That's what's going to knock that thing down. After all of the former steps, then Joshua gets a victory. To keep the sea words running, let's call it conquest so it's nice and tidy for everybody, okay? Joshua 6.20 says this, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. God comes through for Joshua. My question to Christ the King is this. Do you have enough faith to believe that God can come through for you too? It's a simple question. Now the truth is, it's not that easy, is it? When we try to deal with reality here, every message I've ever preached on Joshua turned into kind of a bit of a pep rally. Go take the wall, go take the city, you can do it. Yes, you can. But that's not the way it works in reality, is it? When you're six months into unemployment, it's hard to believe that God is somehow still in control, isn't it? When you're sitting at home with divorce papers sitting on your kitchen table, it's a little hard to think to yourself that that somehow God's been victorious in that tragic moment. When you're trying to figure out how to put food on your table to feed your children, In those moments, the wall's huge. And I think we'd be foolish to pretend that that if we just make ourselves big enough that we're going to be okay. I think in those moments, we find ourselves asking God very really, where are you? I asked about a different income, a different outcome. I mean, are you still there? Friends, it's easy to talk about faith when life is going awesome. It's tough to talk about faith when everything's collapsing around you. Amen? I mean, that's tough when it's, it's hard to talk about faith then. 
It's easy to have faith when the walls seem to be coming down. But the true test of our faith occurs not in that glorious moment of victory, but when we're out there just walking, one foot in front of the other, out of pure obedience, remaining faithful with our eyes fixed on Jesus and the cross and believing that we're not sure how, but that God is going to come through for us. And when we can't take another step, that he's big enough to carry us. That's where real faith is. Let me give you two brief lessons. I think these lessons were for Josh. I think they're for us. The first one is this. It's the process of victory has an order and a faith-filled logic. I mean, Joshua had to walk before he could run. He had to believe before he could act. He had to take a step before he could march. He had to allow God to clean him out before he could shine. I mean, there was a logical order to what God wanted us, wanted us and what he wanted him to do. There was a process he wanted to take him through. I get scared by people that do things out of order. I mean, you should be very afraid. If you're ever standing with somebody and you hear these words, ready, fire, aim. That should scare you to death. You better be ducking for cover. There's a logical process to ready, aim, fire. God's got a logical process too. It starts with a calling. It's fortified with courage. Then comes God confirmation and then the difficult step of consecration. Then God calls us to commitment and if we're willing to do all of that, then what happens? Conquest and victory. I hope we learn this lesson as well. There's no shortcuts on the road to victory. I know a lot of people, they want to shortcut it. I don't need confirmation. I'm just going to go do my thing. Really? Really? I don't need to consecrate myself. I'm just going to do whatever I want to. I'm going to live by my own set of rules. Really? How's that working for you? You wonder why there's so many walls in your life? Maybe that's it. There's no shortcuts to knowing God and his plan or his process. That's why we laid the Joshua challenge in front of you. You know, I look at the Joshua challenge every week and I think it's just so, it looks so meager, right? The ten ten plan. I'll spend 10 minutes in the word, 10 minutes in prayer every day. And as part of the CTK family, I'll commit to pray for two other families or people with Christ the King. You know, I look at it and I say, it's a good place to start. Asking God for his calling, for his confirmation. Seems like a very small price to pay, doesn't it? So last night, the Saturday night service, this is where God hijacked the service. On Saturday nights at 5 o'clock up in the little room up here in the corner, a little handful of people gather to pray for you. They pray about what I'm going to preach. I've rewritten entire sermons up in that little prayer room. Um, We've cried a lot of tears in that prayer room. We've called down heaven on your head up in that prayer room. And last night I was just sharing with people that it was just kind of one of those really, really rough weeks and that the message that I prepared seemed to be a pretty flimsy excuse for God's truth. And we talked about um, the need to, to sometimes just be very real. And I, t- I shared with them a moment, I've talked to you guys about it before, that the most spiritually vulnerable, scary moment for me happens right before I walk out here and I'm standing back here in the curtain. I said, because when I stand back there, the enemy of my soul loves to come and stand there too. He says, who are you? 
I saw what you did all week. You can't talk to anybody about God. Are you kidding me? You're a joke. You didn't prepare enough. You didn't pray enough. You're going to walk out there and nothing's going to happen. That's the loneliest place in Whatcom County four times a weekend, at least for me. So we finished the time and we prayed and I went to the restroom afterwards. I came out of the restroom. Scott Wilmot, God bless his heart, one of the intercessors, he's standing there. He's got his cane because he deals with chronic pain all the time. That's Scott's wall. And he looks at me and he goes, Grant, I, uh, I was wondering something. Would it be okay if I just came and stood beside you in the wings? I won't say anything. I'll just, I'll just be there. Just so you're not alone. I was just so touched by what he said. I mean, just, but you know what I did? Instead of getting it right and saying yes, I stuck on my brave Christian face and said, yeah, I'm fine tonight. I'm doing good. You guys prayed. I'm in, I'm in a great spot. So thanks, but no thanks. I came and stood back there. The end of my, of my soul didn't show up, but Jesus sure did. He said, well, look at you. Standing here alone. But you could have had somebody standing with you. Come on, Grant, you know better than that. You're not alone. That's a lie. I screwed it up last night, but I'm not doing it today. I know this room is filled with people, and your back is flat against the wall. And you have nowhere to run, nowhere to turn, and you have no idea why God hasn't come through yet. And you showed up at church today hoping you could just slide in here and slide back out again, get a little spiritual pat on the backside. And you had no idea that God was going to hijack your morning. In about 25 seconds, if your back is up against the wall and I have no idea what your wall is, I'm going to ask you to do something courageous like Joshua. I'm actually going to ask you to stand up. And then I'm going to ask the family of Christ the King to respond to a calling in their heart. And I'm going to ask them to move around you, put a hand on your shoulder, and we're just going to pray to a God who specializes in smashing walls. And this place will be holy, not because we're doing this, but because God's here. And you're tempted right now to put on your brave Christian face like I did last night. Don't follow the example of your pastor. You're thinking, I'm fine, I'm good. If I stand up, people are going to think something's wrong in my life and they're going to judge me and they're going to be talking about me in the parking lot. Don't put your brave face on. Keep your real one on. This is a family. And we do things together. Today may be your chance to pray. Someday you might be standing. So, I'll go first. If you're up against a wall, you stand up. 
you're just facing it. I don't know what it is. You just get on your feet and you don't be embarrassed. You don't be ashamed because it takes a lot of courage to stand up. Awesome. I knew it. Here's what I'm going to ask the family to do. You look around and you see somebody that's standing close to you. I want you to respond to God's calling in your life right now to be a brother or a sister to them. I want you to move to them right now and you just put a hand on them right this second. You just get them. You get up close. And I'm just telling you, nobody stands alone at Christ the King, all right? Nothing would be more tragic than if somebody stood up and there was nobody to stand with them. So we're just having a moment here. It's all good. It's all good. Got one right there. Okay, good, 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 good. If you stood and you haven't got anybody with you, don't be ashamed. I just want you to stick your hand straight up in the air and I'm going to get somebody to you. Are we covered? Awesome. Awesome. Right down here. I got somebody right down here. Raul, can you? Oh, dude, I knew you were coming for me. Thank you, Terry. Yeah, there we go. It's the church. Would you join me as we pray right now? Father God, it took a lot of courage for these people to stand up. And I know because they stood in this moment, they just need to know that you're here. So I pray that through the hands that are on their shoulders, that they would understand that that's Jesus reaching through real people. That they're being touched by Almighty God right here in this moment. That he knows their name. He knows their circumstance. He knows what brought them to this moment. God, you drew them here for this moment. So God, whatever the wall is, we pray to the God that destroyed Jericho and we ask that there would be a breakthrough in these people's lives. God, we don't understand your timing, but we know your timing's perfect. So God, if they need to wait for a while, I pray that you would give them patience. I pray that the God of all peace, the Prince of Peace would come and hold them and cover them as they wait on your perfect time. God, I pray they wouldn't be discouraged in the journey, but they would trust you and know that your ways aren't our ways. Very often they don't make sense. Your thoughts aren't our thoughts. God, would you meet them in this moment? Jesus, may they know they're dearly loved by you and your family today. God, we boldly ask to Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides that you would meet every need represented in the people that stood. That you'd meet the need of peace, reconciliation, food, deliverance, a job, healing, or maybe just time. God, may every person that stood know that you are for them and not against them that you're here, that you care, that you understand their tears and hear their prayers. We lift them before you and I thank you for this humble moment when the church gets to be the church. Thanks for those who responded to the calling to pray. May they be blessed for stepping out in faith. Pray all of these things in Jesus' matchless and wonderful name.
Amen. Amen. Awesome. As you're moving back to your seats, I, uh, I just want to say thank you for letting this be a holy moment. That's just awesome. Some of you didn't expect to get a hug from God today, did you? Sometimes you just need to know that somebody's with you. And it's been our honor as a church family to be the hands and the mouth of Jesus today. He loves you. You're not forgotten. So we're going we're gonna to finish the service different. We've been doing different all weekend. Let's just do different. Normally we bounce out of here. Ushers, would you begin to facilitate returning back to God our, our tithes and our offerings? Ushers, Don, I don't want you to wait for me. I just want you to start doing what you need to do, okay? And I'm going to keep talking while you guys are, are going about doing that. All this is is a moment of worship. We're just giving back to God some of what he blessed us with. If you're a guest today, this is like your first or second or third time here. Could you do me a big favor in this moment? Would you please let the offering pass you by? Because we don't want anything from you at all. You trusted us with an hour of your weekend. And we're so thankful that you did. We hope you'll come back and see us again real soon. Okay? So if you're visiting, just... That's your job today. Just let it go by. But in a few moments, I'm going to dismiss. And we're going to dismiss different than we normally do. Okay? In a few moments, I'm going to dismiss you to go. Or I'm going to dismiss you to stay. Maybe you just need a couple of minutes to kind of let God do the work that he needs to do in your heart. And I want you to know this is a safe place. And yeah, there's an 1130 service coming. Don't you worry about that. But if you need to just stay here in the quietness of this place for a minute, you go ahead and do that. This is not a spiritual contest. This is not a who can stay in my seat longest to prove how spiritual I am deal. That's not this, okay? So if you need to slip out right away, I'm going to ask, you can just go ahead, but I'm going to ask you to do it quietly. And I'm also going to ask you, if you have to have a conversation, would you please move to the comments so the people that want to stay quietly can actually have a little peace and quiet for a minute? We don't do this very often at CTK, so it might be a little different, but I know it's God. I just know. So ushers, are we almost all done? We doing good? Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate that. A couple more going across. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to dismiss you to stay or go. Whatever God tells you to do, you do that. And just remember, the same God that knocked down Joshua's walls, he can walk, knock down yours too. Jesus, thank you for this moment, for this message and these people. May they have the courage of Joshua. May they be filled with confirmation and courage today. May they know in the deepest part of their soul that God knows their name and has a calling on their life. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Christ the King.